Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh 91.3 FM. That is what you tune to. This is your questions and answers program with myself, Yasmina Peterson. Joined in studio, we have none other than Malina Abdurrahman Khan this evening. And of course, send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, email me jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Malina, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yasmina, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah yourself, Malina. Alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Malina, we're going to actually head right into the questions. Some of the questions coming through via the SMS says, Salam, what is the meaning Allahumma salatana tabura? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. As it stands, uh, the question stands, what is the meaning of Allahumma salatana tabura? In Arabic, that wouldn't make much sense. And I'm assuming that the questioner here must be latching himself onto a dua that he might have heard. Allahumma, of course, means, oh Allah. Salatana means our prayer. Tabura means uh, destroyed and uh, or annihilated or ended. And uh, that doesn't make much sense as a prayer. And what I'm thinking is that the questioner may be latching onto a very common dua that is recited, uh, especially around Umrah and Hajj time, where we pray Generally after prayer or when somebody leaves home, we make the dua, Allahumma ja'al hajjahum hajjam mabrura. Oh Allah, make the hajj a mabrur and accepted hajj. Wasa'yahum sa'yam mashkura. Wadhambahum dhambam maghfura. The sin, a forgiven sin. Wa'amalahum amalan salihan maqbula. And the action, a pious accepted action. And then we include in that dua, وَتِجَارَةً لَنْ تَبُورَ Make this pilgrimage of this, whether it's the lesser or minor, a business, لَنْ تَبُورَ That never ends, that continues. Uh, latching on to the idea of صَدَقَةُ الْجَارِيَةِ صَدَقَةُ الْجَارِيَةِ Something that continues earning a person reward even after he leaves this world. And that's where the word tabur comes from. Uh, in that context, it means a business, لَنْ تَبُورَ That never ends. Uh, and that... I'm assuming the questioner may be latching onto that dua and asking us the meaning of it. But Allahumma salatana tabura, as the question appears over here, is one that does not make sense. Uh, literally, it would translate, Oh Allah, uh, make our prayers a destroyed prayer. And uh, that doesn't make much sense. And therefore, I'm assuming that the questioner may, be have, may have latched onto the dua of hajj, where it comes, وَتِجَارَةً لَنْ تَبُورَ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Shukran so much. 47913. Alternatively, email me, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. The following question is as follows. Says, Assalam, what are a daughter's rights over her mother's husband and are her duties? What are the man's rights and duties regarding his stepdaughter? Khair. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. The question here is a stepdaughter versus a stepfather. So the assumption is that a lady has a child from a previous marriage by way of example and then she marries to a new man that new man of course is now her husband and the stepfather of the daughter the question as i understand it is what are the duties and rights rather what is the rights of a stepdaughter over her stepfather and what is the duties of a stepdaughter towards a stepfather and vice versa meaning what are the rights of a stepfather over a stepdaughter and what are the duties of a stepfather with regards to a stepdaughter this is how i understand the question and the answer would be as follows uh, the only thing that is established between a stepfather and stepdaughter is that of mahramiya uh, he becomes haram permanently for her allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the quran 
that حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ أُمَّهَاتُكُمْ Allah discussed all different categories of females that are haram for you and Allah said حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ أُمَّهَاتُكُمْ Your mothers, وَبَنَاتُكُمْ Your daughters, وَأَخَوَاتُكُمْ Your sisters حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ أُمَّهَاتُكُمْ وَبَنَاتُكُمْ وَأَخَوَاتُكُمْ مِنَ الرَّضَاعَةِ وَأُمَّهَاتُ نِسَائِكُمْ وَرَبَائِبُكُمْ اللَّاتِ فِي حُجُورِكُمْ That's the part of the verse. I might not have recited the verse entirely correctly, but the part I'm looking for is وَرَبَائِبُكُمْ اللَّاتِ فِي حُجُورِكُمْ Your stepdaughters that live with you in your homes, and that's only mentioned by example because your stepdaughter does not necessarily have to live with you in your home. When you get married to a lady, the stepdaughter is haram for you. When the stepdaughter becomes haram for you, it means that you can never marry her and she can never marry you, number one. And number two is also, she is not under an obligation to practice hijab with regards to her stepfather. So in terms of ahkam, law that operates now between the two, the stepfather becomes like a mahram to the lady in that he cannot marry her, number one, forever. That's a permanent hurma. And number two is that uh, uh, she does not have to observe hijab in front of him. Uh, with regards to responsibilities and duties, uh, technically speaking, uh, he is not her father, in which means that he is not financially under an obligation to take care of the stepdaughter. It's not his responsibility to pay for school fees. It's not his responsibility to put food on the table for her. It's not his responsibility to take care of any of her finances. Likewise, if he was to become an old man and she is a lady that earns money, it will not be her responsibility as such to take care of him, to pay for his nafaka and maintenance, because maintenance, nafaka goes both ways. The father takes care of the child while the child is young, and when the father becomes old, the child has to take care of the father. Uh, this is mentioned within our fiqh works. So uh, there is no such obligation between them. However, what I need to add over here is that when a man gets married to a lady and a lady has children, even though he's not under an obligation to take care of their children, he has no responsibility and obligation towards them, but it only it's part of part of acting and living beautifully with his wife is to show love and respect towards his children. And if that means that he assists with finances or he buys them a gift and he shows them kindness, then these are all things which are very highly recommended. In fact, all Muslims, toward, every Muslim towards another Muslim, there are certain rights that we show them kindness, that we show them respect, that we uh, assist them when they require assistance, that we support them when they require support. If there's oppression, we remove oppression. So the general rights of one Muslim over another will apply between stepfather and stepdaughter. And then also the stepfather should realize that part of showing kindness and respect towards his new wife is to show respect and kindness towards he, her, her children. Uh, so these are all matters of uh, understanding and matters of living beautifully together. But as an obligation from the side of the Sharia, there is no obligation upon the stepfather towards his stepdaughter and vice versa. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Shukran so much for that, Malina. The following question coming through says, If one is making dua during the adhan of any waqt, is that considered as a mustajab time where dua is accepted? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Um, no. The time to make dua while the adhan is going off will not be considered to be a mustajab time. I say that because uh, someone who decides to make dua while the adhan is going off is contradicting the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave us very clear instructions and this is a very emphasized sunnah that when the mu'adhin is calling the adhan that you listen to the mu'adhin 
And in between the while the muadzin is taking breath to continue with his adhan, you repeat what the muadzin has to say. So Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave us two instructions: listen to the muadzin. In other words, don't uh, don't be engaged in anything else. Not making du'a, not reciting Quran, not teaching a lesson. Al Imam Al Nawawi rahimahullah taala he said in his majmu that if a person is reciting Quran and the adhan goes, stop reciting Quran and listen to the muadzin. He said that if you're conducting a lesson, stop the lesson, listen to the muadzin. This is something that we as a community have become extremely negligent of. The adhan goes and we just continue with our daily lives, not realizing that the caller is calling us to prayer on behalf of our Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's when the adhan goes, what is required of us is to be silent, to listen attentively to the muadzin and then to repeat what he says. So the Prophet ﷺ told us when the Mu'addin says Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, you say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. When he says Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, you say Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah. When he says Ashadu Anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah, you say Ashadu Anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah. When he says Hayya ala salah, uh, come to prayer, then uh, you don't repeat what you see says, but you say what? La hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim. And so forth and so on, the Prophet ﷺ demonstrated us what to do while the adhan is being called, which means the questioner that is asking is it mustahab to make is dua accepted while making the adhan? I would say no because you are going against the sunnah. The sunnah is for you to be quiet, to listen to the mu'adhin and to repeat what the mu'adhin has to say. After the adhan you could make dua. And that is the dua that comes to us from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that is the time when dua is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So during the adhan no, but after the adhan by all means Wallahu subhanahu wa ta'ala a'ala. Shukran so much the voice there of Malana Abdurrahman Khan. For now we end we for now we break for ads and when we come back we'll continue with the program. Also keep those questions coming on four seven nine one three. Alternatively, email me J A S M I N A at VOCFM.co.za. We back right after this. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is your program Questions and Answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson and in studio this evening we have none other than Malina Abdurrahman Khan. 47913 is the SMS line. Alternatively, email me jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Malina, the following question came through. It says, what is the most beneficial time during Jumu'ah to make dua and have your dua be accepted? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in um, the, accept, the time during Jumu'ah where dua is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is referred to by the scholars as the Sa'atul Ijaba the time where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts prayers the Prophet said no one prays to Allah at that specific time on a Jumu'ah except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts that prayers uh, so there is a moment, there is a few moments within the day of Jumu'ah where du'as are accepted. And that's the best time to make du'a undoubtedly. However, in ascertaining when that time is exactly, the views of scholars differed. The Prophet ﷺ, he did not tell us when exactly is that time. And therefore we find that scholars differ. Um, we have by way of example, some of the ulama have mentioned that the time we du'a is accepted is while the imam sits on the mimbar between the two khutbas. So the imam delivers a first khutbah and then he sits down. While he's sitting before standing up for the second khutbah, they said that time is the time when du'a is accepted. And therefore we find in our masajid taking advantage of that moment, generally the mu'adhin in our masajid would make du'a during that time. But one should not be governed and restricted to the du'a made by the mu'adhin from the front of the masjid, especially if one does not necessarily understand 
understand what he is saying. That is encouraged and one should we should keep up the tradition. However, nothing stops you and I from making dua ourselves during this while the Imam is sitting on the member, keeping in mind that this may be a potential time when dua is accepted. Other scholars say that it's immediately after the khutbah, between the khutbah and the salah. Some say immediately after the salah. Uh, so there were different views among the ulama exactly when is that time. Some believed it to be after Asr. From those that considered the time between Asr on a Friday, Jumu'ah until Maghrib. Uh, and that the sacred hour with du'as were accepted is between Maghrib and between Asr and Maghrib uh, was Sayyida Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha and her husband Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala an. Sayyida Fatima was extremely particular in keeping that time awake in worship with her, her husband and uh, uh, it is very possible that she received the this importance from her father sallallahu alaihi wasallam because Sayyida fatima wouldn't have developed an attitude where she without fail used to keep the time between asr and maghrib alive in ibadah every friday had she not known there that she had she not known that there was something special in that time and therefore, uh, many of our mashayikh, including this uh, myself, we tend to have an inclination towards believing that the sacred time where du'as are accepted on a Friday is between Asr and Maghrib. And uh, we thus encourage our community, our brothers and our sisters to not let this time go to waste. Asr after Asr on a Friday uh, is not an ordinary day, it's not an ordinary time. It's a time where the best lady to ever walk this earth, Sayyida Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, that she used to dedicate that time to Allah and therefore we should try to follow in her way and uh, her way of her husband Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anha and try to keep that time awake in ibadah. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala use us to bring life to the time between Asr uh, and Maghrib on a Friday. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Amin, Amin, Thuma, Amin. Now the following question coming through, Maulina says, Salam, can a person that walked out after 38 years of marriage get silently married to his best friend's daughter, more or less his grown-up children's age, cuts him totally off from his own siblings, children and grandchildren? If he hears of a family janazah, he will only go to the Maghbara, no communication with one another and does not come forward to Talaq or Nafaka first wife. Shukran and safe home journey. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. There is actually no question over here. The questioner is saying, can a person that walked out and she doesn't ask, what can the person do? Uh, maybe she's asking, can a person do these things? And the answer then would be very obvious, no, a man should not do this. If he's been married to a lady for 38 years, then part of wafa, showing loyalty towards that lady, even if for whatever reason he felt the need to marry again, but he should show loyalty to his wife. 38 years of marriage, she's been by his side, she's been supporting him, she's been taking care of him. It's important that he now shows her loyalty, shows her support, uh, continues paying nafaqa. If she is his wife and he fails to be paying nafaqa, then he is guilty of a crime, something that he will be have to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one day and Allah will question him about it. Uh, cutting himself off from his siblings, from his children, from his grandchildren, these are all things that are completely unacceptable. A man doesn't cut ties from family at all. Never mind his siblings, never mind his children, never mind his grandchildren. Uh, so this individual, um, uh, the best would be that uh, someone sits down with him and someone speaks to him. If the wife that is writing this question and sending it through to the radio could uh, knows that her husband 
uh, finds the he is attached to a certain scholar or a certain leader or a certain uh, community worker, then she should speak to that an imam or to a sheikh or to a community worker or a counselor that has a good relationship with the husband to try and meet him and sit down with him and speak some sense into his head because currently as it stands over here he is acting in a nonsensible way. Uh, so an effort should be made whoever knows this individual whoever knows of somebody like this that is not fulfilling his duty to his family has broken ties with his family uh, has, that's not communicating that's not paying nafaka such a person if you know of somebody in this position then you as a Muslim brother as a Muslim sister in Islam should reach out to people like this and try to impress upon them the importance of taking care of their family and the importance of joining family ties uh, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he told us in a hadith Qudsi narrated from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah said I am Allah and I am Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahman meaning the most merciful and then Allah said Khalaqtu rahim I created family ties وَشَقَقْتُ لَهَا إِسْمًا مِّنْ إِسْمِي وَشَقَقْتُ لَهُ إِسْمًا مِّنْ إِسْمِي And then gave family ties a name from my name Family ties in the Arabic language is Rahim Allah said that word Rahim which means family ties comes from my name Ar-Rahman and you can notice that it has the same root letters Raha Mim in Ar-Rahman and then Rahim Al-Rahman the root letters of Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim is Rahamim and similarly the root letters of family relations is also Rahamim so Allah said I gave it a name from my name and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that فَمَنْ وَصَلَهَا وَصَلْتُهُ Whoever joins family ties, I join ties with him. We need to have ties with Allah. وَمَنْ قَطَعَهَا Whoever severs family ties, Allah said بَتَتُهُ I sever ties with him. By cutting ties with your family, you are cutting ties with Allah. And who of us can afford to cut ties with Allah? If we cut ties with Allah, who will provide? Who will take care? Who will remove our concerns? Who will remove our worries? Who will give us contentment? Who will give us happiness? Who will make our graves garlands of Jannah? Who will allow us to be resurrected in the company of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? And who will grant us entry into paradise? Only Allah. And if I've cut ties and severed ties with Allah, then what type of life will I live in this world and in the next? So this brother should be made aware that what he's doing is wrong. And he should mend ties with children and mend ties with his uh, and similarly the children they should endeavor and make effort and sacrifice to mend ties with their father to reach out to him uh, but the current situation is a very sad one and we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings relief to the situation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all those families that are in similar situations and going through difficulties and challenges may Allah place love and contentment and understanding between husbands and wives may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant uh, our fathers good relationships with their children so they could be real role models and examples for their children and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow all our brothers in our community to understand the responsibility of nafaka of maintenance it's your duty to put a roof over your wife's head it's your duty to put food on the table it's your duty to buy the electricity it's your duty to pay for the rates it's your duty to ensure that she has clothing at least one set of clothing for the season among other requirements that falls under the chapter of nafaka may Allah allow our brothers to understand this responsibility with regards and towards their families. I mean, Yorub Al-Alamin. Shukran so much for that. On that note, we break for ads and when we come back, we'll continue with the program. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're tuned to 91.3 FM. This is your program, Questions and Answers. Sending through all your questions through to 47913. Now, Maulina, the following question came through. Say, Salam, Maulina, I hate and don't like my father-in-law because he interferes in my marriage. And when me and my wife argue, they always call him to come abuse me and smack me in my face. I hate him through every good deed and action. 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Um, so brother writing to us now, the first piece of advice that I have is that um, Islam does not teach us to hate another Muslim, to hate another person that carries in his heart the kalima la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we should not hate Muslim brothers. However, Islam teaches us to hate the action of an individual. If your father-in-law is dealing with you unjustly, and your father-in-law, if he is guilty of smacking you and abusing you, as you stated in your question, then hate the action that he is doing and try not to hate the individual, even though this may be something very difficult, uh, number one. Number two is that if it is true that uh, there are problems within your marriage and between you and your wife, then it's important that you sit down with someone that is able to advise you and your wife, uh, not in a violent manner, so that your relation, the relationship between you and your wife could be sorted out. So meet with a scholar, meet with an imam, meet with a senior. Uh, be particular who you meet. Many people that are offering counseling today, unfortunately, and I say this uh, I'm not without trying to create any trouble, but many people, many individuals that try to offer counseling within our communities these days, they do more harm than good. Find somebody that understands counseling, understands challenges that couples go through within their relationships, and then meet with such a person and find guidance and see how you and your wife could live a better life so that your father-in-law doesn't have to get involved in your challenges uh, in any way, number one. Number two is uh, speak to your wife and make your wife understand that what he, she is doing or what they are doing in bringing her father into the situation and your father is being abusive. She should be... Uh, standing and supporting you and she should be understanding where you are coming from and she should assist in preventing her father from coming into your marriage and creating this type of problem where as you're saying you are being abused number two number three is uh, someone needs to speak to the father-in-law because the father-in-law doesn't have the right to smack Rasul prohibited us from raising our hands and smacking any believer in his face so he does not that, that is haram uh, if he believes you are treating his daughter unjustly, then he is acting in an unjust manner towards you. So he is equally guilty of a crime. Uh, in which case, somebody you need to find out if there is a senior, if he has a brother, or if he has a cousin, if there is an imam, if there is a scholar, someone senior that the father-in-law uh, respects and shows reverence to and loves, and speak to that person to speak to the father-in-law so that he can stop doing what, is he, what he is doing. So again, if I was to uh, summarize my three points that I've mentioned to the brother over here, number one is find a counselor so that you and your wife could sort out your problems, so that you could live a life of contentment and happiness. Number two is speak to your wife and make your wife understand that it's only harming your relationship with her and your marriage further if she was to bring her father into the situation, into, the, into your disputes on every occasion, especially if his interference leads to abuse. And number three is someone needs to speak to the father-in-law advising him that the manner in which he's handling the situation is incorrect. He has no right to abuse anyone and he has no right to smack anyone. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow our brother to practice on this advice, to find a counselor and may Allah remove all problems from his marriage so that they may have a beautiful life filled with love and mercy and understanding. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. I mean, the following question came through. It says, Salam, Marina, I'm presenter. Is it permissible to be intimate with my husband when embarking on my Hajj journey? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Muhammad wa alayhi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa alaykum wa salam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh to the questioner. Uh, yes, it's permissible for a husband and wife to have sexual relations while in the Holy Lands in Mecca and Medina as long as they are not in ihram. When uh, the couple enters in, into ihram, 
most probably in the Hujaj, all entry into Haram from Bir Ali in Medina Al Munawwara or Bir Ali, just outside Medina. Uh, when entering into Haram, it's now Haram for the husband and wife to have any sexual uh, contact. Uh, when they complete the Umrah, they perform the Tawaf of the Umrah, and then they perform the Sa'i, and they trim the hair, and they come out of Ihram, it's now permissible once again for husband and wife to be sexually active. Um, when they enter into Ihram on the, um, on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, then once they've entered into Ihram, it now becomes Haram again for them to be involved in sexual activity. Also, when the husband comes out of ihram and the wife comes out of ihram after tawafil ifada, what we call here in Cape Town declined for losing the small, uh, the, the, the not entirely out of ihram but partially out of ihram, um, then during that time it's still haram for them to be engaged in sexual activity. So once he is completely out of ihram, um, then it would be permissible once again for them to be involved. So the problem is not being sexually active while performing the uh, while being present in the holy lands no one may a husband and wife may be sexually active while while in the uh, sacred cities of Mecca and Medina but it's haram to engage in any sexual activity while they're in a state of ihram uh, that is the answer answer in short wallahu subhanahu wa ta'ala alam Shukran so much for that, Molina. Send your questions to 247913. Alternatively, email me, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. The following question came through. says, is it permissible for a woman to take pills to stop her menstrual cycle for the period of Hajj so that she don't miss out on any of the rituals during the Hajj period? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala wa sahbihi ajma'in. Yes, uh, our scholars and our mashayikh, including the... Uh, uh, a mufti of the MJC permits a lady uh, to regulate her menstrual cycle for the purposes of Hajj and Umrah. Uh, so it would be permissible for her, provided that the pills that she, are, she is using uh, does not harm her body in any way. If she has the opinion of a reliable Muslim doctor that, ad that advises her to use these tablets, these pills, and that it won't harm her, uh, not immediately, nor in the future, uh, then it's permitted, permissible for her to use pills to regulate her menstrual cycle in order for her to fulfill and complete the rituals of Hajj and Umrah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Shukran so much, Maulana. The following question came through. Say, Salaam, Maulana. I've been married for 19 years, have three children, and I feel so neglected by my husband. My husband don't greet me. He just greet the children. He never compliment me, never say the food is nice, and I'm one of the best cooks. I feel like walking out, but think of my children. I feel very really rejected. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Um... Uh, we sympathize, sympathize with our sister over here after 19 years of marriage and having three three children she has a husband that shows her no compassion and shows her no love and uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant our sister strength may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow her to deal with these challenges and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide her husband if she really wants to do something actively to, to change the status quo then it may be advisable similarly for her to be sitting to go and have a sitting with a counsel uh, if the husband doesn't agree then she could sit alone with a counsellor and get advices how could she uh, win the heart of her husband how could she what could she do to 
to, to change his attitude towards her. Now, even though outwardly it would appear that the problem here is predominantly the husband's problem, but there's no harm in a wife trying to see what she can do to enhance her relationship with her husband. Uh, beyond that, it may be good for the husband also to be part of the counseling session so that we could find out exactly what his problem is and what is bothering him and what is keeping him away. Uh, what is stopping him from communicating with his wife and speaking to her and complimenting her and thanking her and spending time with her. Uh, but the status quo as it as it stands is a very sad status quo. So uh, I advise our sister to uh, uh, suggest to her husband counseling. If the husband disagrees, then she could meet alone with a counselor to see what are the possibilities that she could do to enhance the relationship with the husband. And if things doesn't work, and then she needs to put apply more pressure upon her husband to join a counseling session. And if she cannot apply that pressure, pressure again, she should reach out to someone that has that influence over her husband. In all these matters, generally what we should do is, uh, and I say this uh, to wives regarding their husbands, I say it to children regarding their parents. I say it to juniors regarding seniors. When we're not in a position to influence somebody that has some type of an authority or seniority over us, then speak to someone that has an influence over that person to convince him to do something. It's pointless a junior starts fighting with a senior. It's pointless for the wife to start fighting with the husband. It's pointless for the child to start fighting with the mother or father. When we don't have power to convince our parents or our seniors, or our husbands, to do something, then we should speak to someone that they respect and love, that is able to influence them uh, in a positive way. And in this example, speak to someone that could uh, impress upon your husband the importance of sitting down with a counselor so that you and he could have a beautiful marriage that is based on love and mercy and understanding, one of comfort and not one of discomfort. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant our sister that and all sisters that are struggling within their marriages, Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ameen, shukran so much for that. Marina, the following question came through, says, Salam, Marina, what happens if the wife accuse you, but you're doing nothing wrong, and they insist that there is something? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nothing happens. If the wife accuses the husband of doing something, and he's innocent of it, and she continues and persists in accusing him of doing something that he's innocent of, nothing happens. She will just continue accusing until she she either finds the husband to be guilty or she finds him to be to be innocent. Uh, however, if the brother is asking for advice, then my advice would be that you sit down with your wife and explain to her that you are innocent of what she is accusing you of, and uh, be open if she is, by example, accusing you of and this is very common these days of chatting to strange ladies with your whatsapp then give her your phone and grant her access to your phone that she can see that you're not chatting to anybody if she's accusing you of chatting to somebody on facebook then open up your facebook and grant her access to your facebook so that she can see that you're not so the one thing is just to say to my wife that's accusing me of doing something that i'm innocent and stop accusing me and the other thing is to convince her that you're innocent and generally uh, someone who is innocent is able to do that. If somebody is innocent, he has no problem in opening up his phone, opening up his Facebook. And I'm just using Facebook and a phone by way of example. Uh, whatever the situation, whatever the accusation is, be open. Show your wife. Uh, let her be content and let her be happy that you are actually free and innocent of what she's accusing you of. And then perhaps when we adopt this approach, of uh, not just expecting my wife to believe but rather showing her evidence and giving her contentment that I am speaking the truth to her, you may find 
uh, a difference and you may find that she stops accusing you of whatever it may be and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Shukran so much for that Maulina. The following question came through. Says Assalam, I've been married for 20 years. My husband has been contacted over social media by a woman in a refugee in one of the Muslim countries. She needs his help to get her out of this camp. If he do help her, she made him the next of kin of 3.5 million and this woman, he sent this woman 50,000 rand over for illegal for legal documents to get her out which leaves us with no money and food and is so drowned in the matter my eldest son my eldest son told him to leave this because it is a scam but he doesn't want to listen to his son her lawyer needs 180 rand for more document so that money can be released in his name he is on his phone with this woman have no time for his kids and wife he don't even want to he even went to go make a loan and put his house up for collateral this lady is so convinced when she's out of that camp and fly over to cape town she's marrying him i i as his wife only found out about it later what should i do don't even sleep in the same room um uh, this is a, another challenging situation. Unfortunately, um, the, the, the signs of a scam on this message is very, very apparent. Um, I, as a person, I don't know how many similar type of messages I received uh, via my email and other types of uh, communication. And uh, the minute you see that your next of kin in inheriting 3.5 million, I don't know what GE stands for, if it's the pound or what, mm-hmm. know that you're busy with a scam. And uh, especially since they require you to pay monies over, um, uh, the fact that this is a scam, I have absolutely no doubt about it. Um, And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Uh, They're requesting more money. I don't think it's 180 rand. It looks more like 180,000 rand. And the fact that you're going to be taking out uh, an extra loan and you're placing your house on a mortgage or collateral, these are all things that someone is busy scamming your husband and uh, I think it's again very imperative that this message gets very uh, get conveyed to him very clearly. Um, if the son's word doesn't work, if your word doesn't work, then go and speak to someone that could have a positive influence over him. Um, he's unfortunately falling for a trick and he's going to regret it at the end of the day. Uh, I strongly advise that the sister speaks to your local imam, speak to your local sheikh, speak to his elder brother, speak to anyone that has a strong influence over him to make him aware that this is a scam and this is not the truth, especially if such large sums of money is being transferred. Uh, we pray that uh, the the uncle, uh, because you married for 20 years, it must be an uncle, we pray that the uncle reaches his senses, that he realizes that these type of messages He's not the only one receiving them. There's nothing special about his mailbox to have received this message. All our mailboxes throughout the city is filled with these type of messages where people are saying, we're going to make you next of kin to inherit so much million. And whatever the case may be, the essence of the message is the same. It takes various forms. Um, The uncle needs to realize that um, he's receiving advice now. He should accept the advice rather than regretting rather than regretting uh, 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 a few months from now or a few years from now. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide the uncle, may the family be able to convince him and make him understand 
uh, what's really taking place over here and uh, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows him to uh, reach his senses before uh, any further monies are sent over Wallahu subhanahu wa ta'ala a'lam and indeed Allah knows best Shukran so much for that on that note we break for ads and when we come back we'll continue with the show stay tuned Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Questions and answers, that is what you tune to. 47913. Alternatively, email me jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Answering all of your questions this evening, we have none other than Malina Abdurrahman Khan in studio. Now, Malina, the following question came through. It says, Salam, Malina. My husband comes out of work every night at about 1940. Then I do what a wife must do. Then he watches two movies on the TV. When he watches it finish, then he goes to bed. No communication. Then he's on his phone. Then he gets up the next morning, five o'clock, back to work. Then tonight it's again the same. What must I do? I'm feeling very frustrated. If the uh, sister was listening to our answers to some of the previous questions, by now she would know that uh, the best thing for her to do is have a sitting down with her husband. If sitting down with her husband does not work, then she should seek uh, counseling. Uh, she should speak to a counsellor, how could she enhance her marriage? If that does not help, then she should convince her husband to join counselling sessions. If he's not willing to join, she should speak to someone that has an influence over him to impress him and to put pressure on him to join counselling. Um, the marriage as it stands is not a healthy marriage. It's a one-way marriage where the wife, where the wife is uh, taking care of the needs of the husband and the husband in return is not giving any attention or any time to his wife it's a toxic relationship and it's very important that the lady our sister tries to do something about it may allah bring relief to your situation may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring ease to your situation may allah guide both you and your husband so that you could live a life of understanding of love and peace and mercy amen ya rabbal alamin Shukran so much for that Malina. the following question is very short and very to the point it says what is bid'ah um Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Um, the, one of the heatedly debated uh, points within our community is the definition of innovation of bid'ah. Um, the, the definition of bid'ah as understood by our pious predecessors, our salaf al-salih, by the great scholars and men of this ummah is when somebody introduces something into this religion that contradicts the Qur'an and Sunnah. In other words, uh, our scholars have taken innovation, things which are introduced, that was not practiced by our Messenger Muhammad wasallam, and they have uh, divided it into two categories, what Imam Shafi ta'ala referred to, mastuhsina, that which is considered or deemed good, or what others would call a bid'a hasana, and then he divided it further into Mastuqbiha, that which is deemed ugly or bad, and that's what they refer to as a bid'ah, sayhi'ah. Um, the concept and belief that everything that Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam did not do is automatically a bad innovation is incorrect as a misunderstanding of the hadith of Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. How could it be when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself said that man sanna fil Islam is sunnatan hasan, whoever sets a good example within this religion. He gets the reward of that good and whoever follows him in that good. فَلَهُ 
ajruha wa ajru man amila biha and then the prophet said wa man sanna fil islam sunnatan sayyi'a whoever sets a bad example with this in religion a bad example is a, a practice is a practice that contradicts quran and sunnah whoever sets a bad precedent a bad example a bad action he gets the sin of it and whoever the sin of whoever acts upon that bad precedent that he that he said so rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam he is in no way saying that a person may not innovate a person may not introduce something that he did not do as long as what that person is introducing falls under the umbrella of his sunnah it falls under the umbrella of the book of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala examples of this what to be found in the time of the companions ridwanullah ta'ala alayhim ajma'in but we have examples sayyidina bilal radiyallahu ta'ala an uh, the messenger muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam came to him and said oh bilal why is it the prophet entered paradise one night he said i entered paradise and I heard your footsteps, Bilal. Why have I heard your footsteps in Jannah? So Bilal radiallahu ta'ala and he said, Ya Rasulallah, I do not know anything that may have earned me that that my footsteps were heard in Jannah, except that uh, whenever my, there were two things that Sayyidina Bilal was known for. Whenever his hudu broke, he used to renew his hudu. And whenever he performed hudu, he used to pray two raka'ats of salah after hudu. The Prophet ﷺ never taught him to pray two raka'ats of salah after hudu. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala an innovated the two raka'ats after hudu by himself. So much so the Prophet didn't know why is your footsteps heard in Jannah. So he had to say, Ya Rasulullah, I innovated. What did I innovate? I prayed two raka'ats of salah after every hudu. And then the Prophet ﷺ, of course, affirmed the doing of Sayyidina Bilal. Naam, there are people that oppose the concept of good innovation. And they say that whatever was performed in the Prophet's time and thus affirmed by Rasul ﷺ is not innovation. And it is uh, considered to be from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, which is correct. But what we must understand as well is that if Bilal radiallahu ta'ala an innovated two raka'ats of salah after every hudu, and the Prophet ﷺ uh, affirmed those two raka'ats of salah. The Prophet did not only affirm the two raka'ats of salah, but the Prophet also affirmed the manner in which Sayyidina Bilal came to the performance of two raka'ats. In other words, that the, the, the thought process of ibtida, of innovating, of doing something which the, that the Prophet ﷺ did not do, when Sayyidina Bilal did that, the Prophet should have told him, Bilal, the two rakats of the salah, no problem, but don't try innovating something by yourself again. The Prophet didn't do that, which means he affirmed both. He affirmed the way in which Sayyidina Bilal came to the decision of performing two rakats of the every hudu and the actual performance of two rakats of the every hudu. The Prophet sallallahu uh, our teacher Mullah Mu'ad always makes this example when somebody's method in doing something was incorrect, the Prophet would point it out. So we have a Sahabi. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was praying salah in Masjid al-Nabawi. The sahabi entered by the door. As he entered, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allahu Akbar, and he went into ruku. The sahaba on account of his desire to do good and to catch the first raka'ah with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, at the door of the masjid went into ruku. And when he went into ruku at the door, he began walking in his ruku until he reached the soft. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was made aware of this, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him, May Allah increase you in your desire to do good, لكن لا تعود, don't do that again, it's wrong. Your method of wanting to do good wasn't an accepted method. Right? And the examples of innovation within the time of the Prophet sallallahu and after his time, among the Khulafa al-Rashidun, among the Sahaba, among the Tabi'een, among the Salaf al-Salih, there's too many to mention innovating, bringing things into this religion that is in line and conformity with the Qur'an and Sunnah was practiced by the best of people from the Sahaba to the Tabi'een to the next generation and there's a multiple of examples of that. And thus uh, uh, the definition 
of a bid'ah and I'm sorry for taking so much time on this question as was the understanding of our pious predecessors is not that uh, every innovation without exception is considered to be misguidance the Prophet said every innovation is misguidance but what he meant وسلم, if anyone that studies usul al-fiqh Islamic legal theory he would understand that sometimes uh, a, a general statement would be made but something specific would be referred to so kullu bid'atin would mean that every bad bid'ah is misguidance, every evil innovation is misguidance, not every good innovation. Otherwise the innovations of Bilal had to be called into question and the innovation of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri and Sa'id ibn Abi Waqas and Imam Malik and so many of the great Imams of the past, they would all be called into question. But no, what is meant by the hadith that every innovation is misguidance means every bad innovation is misguidance. This was stated very clearly by the giants of this ummah, including the great scholar Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Shukran so much for that, Molina. On that note, we break fast. And when we come back, we'll continue with the program. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The last few minutes that we do have with you. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and also joined in studio this evening. We have none other than Malina Abdurrahman Khan answering all of your questions via SMS 47913. Alternatively, email me jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Malina, the following question came through. says, what is the ruling of a man wearing silver wedding bands with gold infused? Is it permissible? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Um, gold is something that was declared haram for the men of the Ummah of Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam one day he came out of his home and he had silk in one hand and he had gold in his other hand. He had silk in his right hand and gold in his left hand and he says these two commodities have been made haram for my Ummah. Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala an, he said the Prophet prohibited me from wearing a ring made out of gold. Uh, um, in the Shafi'i school, um, there was a difference of opinion regarding this. Uh, sorry, in the Shafi'i school, they looked at gold as whatever can be called gold would be haram. So a ring, if a ring is silver, and then what did the question say? It said, if a man is wearing a silver wedding band with gold infused. Gold infused. In other words, it's a mixture of gold and silver. Mm -hmm. If it can be called the gold ring, it would be haram in the Shafi school. However, in the Hanafi school, uh, there was difference of opinion regarding this. And they said that if the percentage of gold is more than other, uh, if it's a mixture between gold and silver, and the percentage of gold is more is haram. But if the percentage of gold within the ring is less, such as in this example over here, where the percentage of gold seems to be less than that of silver, then according to them it would be permissible. So thus you have two opinions, one stating that it is haram, irrespective, and one stating that it is permissible, especially that in the Hanafi school. And the listener may, if he wishes to adopt the view of the Hanafi school in this instance, he may do so. If he wants to practice caution and be safe, then he may practice caution and leave the wearing of gold altogether. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Shukran so much for that, Mawlana. Now the following question comes through. says, is there any particular virtue in performing Umrah in the month of Rajab? Um, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. There's no 
narration that speaks of a special virtue of performing Umrah in the month of Rajab. What we do have is um, Ibn Attar, the uh, student of Imam al-Nabawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, in, uh, it's been narrated from him that when he entered Makkah, he found that the people of Makkah used to place special importance on performing Umrah during the month of, during the month of Rajab. However, there is no hadith from the Prophet ﷺ speaking about any special virtue of performing Umrah in the month of Rajab. The month of Rajab is a sacred month and the reward of good deeds are multiplied. If a person wants to perform Umrah in the month of Rajab based on the fact that it's a sacred month and the reward for good deeds are multiplied in sacred months, then that would be something good and something encouraged. Um, there is a hadith that says the Prophet wasallam performed Umrah in Rajab by the hadith of Ibn Umar but Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha responded to that saying that the Prophet never performed Umrah in the month of Rajab so the chosen position by the scholars is that Rasul did not perform Umrah in the month of Rajab uh, there is a narration that says Sayyidina Umar performed Umrah in the month of Rajab and thus if somebody feels that he wants to follow the way of the Khulafa al-Rashidun the rightly guided caliphs then he may perform Umrah in the month of Rajab as an extra added benefit or an extra virtue that Umar performed Umrah in the month of Rajab so these are there's nothing wrong in performing Umrah in the month of Rajab there's no special virtue added to it by the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet himself did not perform Umrah in the month of Rajab. However, the month of Rajab is a sacred month and reward is multiplied. So if somebody wants to perform Umrah specifically in Rajab because it's a sacred month, then that is a good intention and that is something good. If he wants to do it because Sayyidina Umar did it, and Sayyidina Umar performed Umrah in the month of Rajab and he wants to follow the way of the rightly guided caliphs, then he may do that and that is a very good reason as well. Uh, there's absolutely nothing however preventing anyone from performing Umrah during the month of Rajab. Wallahu subhanahu wa ta'ala alam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Shukran so much for that Marina. The following question came through. says, in my grandfather's house there is a real life parrot and when I pass it, it greets me and says, Assalamu alaikum. In this case, do I have to return the greeting of this bird? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Responding to the greeting of another Muslim is compulsory. Uh, responding to the greeting of a non-Muslim is not compulsory. Uh, what I'm trying to say over here is that the ruling of compulsion is only tied into responding to the greeting of another human being. If another human being greets you, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, then it's compulsory upon you to respond to the greeting. And not only to respond, but وَإِذَا حَيِّتُمْ بِتَحِيَّةٍ فَحَيُّوا بِأَحْسَنَ مِنْهَا أُرُدُّهَا Allah said in the Qur'an, respond in a better way. If he said, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, respond by saying, وَعَلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامُ وَرَحْمَتُ and then add. So responding to a greeting is compulsory. However, if it is a parrot that is greeting, then uh, first of all, the parrot is merely repeating words that he heard. He doesn't understand that he's greeting. He doesn't understand what the meaning of a greeting is. Um, So it's not a real greeting as such. And therefore, to assume now that it's compulsory to respond to such a greeting, I believe, and Allah knows best, would be very far-fetched. And thus, uh, in... Answering your question when the parrot greets you, you're under no obligation to respond to the parrot. If you wish to respond to the parrot, then there is no problem in that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Responding to the parrot would effectively be making dua for the bird and there's no problem for you to make dua for any of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
uh, and thus responding there is no problem but to assume that it's compulsory upon you to respond I think that would be far-fetched and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best Shukran so much for that Maulana that brings us to the end of the program Shukran so much for coming into studio and Shukran to each and everyone sending through the questions however some of the questions which we did not get to we'll definitely look at next week inshallah from myself Yasmina as well as everyone on board I bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh